I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host. What's good, everybody? Happy Friday. There was a better intro than this, but uh, it just didn't go very well. I hope everybody's having a good morning on your commute to work, to the gym, wherever you may be. It's Friday, Friday, so I'm joined by my, my boy, Mr. Will Bond, and we're about to break down everything we saw from preseason game three. You know, there's some Marcus Smart news we need to discuss. I think that's a hot topic right now. We wouldn't be doing our jobs if we weren't bringing the discussion to your ears. And then, obviously, we want to talk about preseason as a whole. But first of all, well, you look very happy today, man. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm here chopping it up with you. And you know, I will tell the people at home right now, Adam had a great intro, but he couldn't commit to it. He wasn't committed. You got to be committed to it sometimes. <laughs> I know, dude. It was like, I just completely forgot where it was going. And I was like, man, this could have been so fantastic. But there'll always be another week for that to happen. I'm sure I'll figure right. it out. I might script it out just so I can get it perfect because I feel like it deserves that level of commitment from me. So what you got to do, Adam, is you got you got to script it out. Don't tell me you're scripting it out. But so that way you're prepared, but I'm unprepared because I don't know. Maybe it's next Friday. Maybe it's three Fridays from now that you're busting it out with this intro. So that will help you be prepared to surprise me who will be unprepared for your intro. I like how you just went into a Friday, Friday after next and next Friday. Well, Friday, next Friday and Friday after next. Yeah, kind of like that's your kind of like quotation, but just like, you know, it, it was a bit jumbled and you didn't commit to the bit yourself. So so I think we're one on one right now. Friday, the Friday trilogy is uh, one of my most quotable trilogies in terms of comedy. So uh, I'm obviously it's not stuff I can quote on a on a family friendly show because there's a lot hey. of swear words. Yeah, but you know what? And like, you know, we talked last podcast, but not ruining transitions. But the more we talk about Friday, there's a great transition in there. In the first Friday, Nia Long, head coach of the Boston Celtics, husband of Nia Long, Ime Adoka. <laughs> that was so, <laughs> you know, when you're looking at like word searches and you see the one and then you circle it. And as you circle it, you see the other one coming diagonally free. <laughs> so you take that one. That was some New York Times crossword word search puzzle level stuff right there. You ninja the hell out of that <laughs> transition. Thank you, dude. Sir. Thank but you. we're here now, so we'll jump straight into it. Mr. Ime Udoka. Set some rules, apparently. You know, everybody needs rules. Rules are good. They give you structure. According to Imeudoka, the rule will remain internal. However, Mr. Woj decided that we ain't having that. We don't do internal rules in this place. This is social media. We Everyone should know everything. Marcus Smart missed a flight to <laughs> Florida <laughs> as per Woj, not as per the team. So apparently Marcus Smart missed a flight to Florida. And because of that, he will be suspended for the game in Miami. And if you looked at the retweets of that, one of the retweets was from Abby Chin from NBC Sports mm -hmm. Boston. And she said, uh, Smart missed the first half of the game against Orlando, came on, was on the bench for the second half of the game. So the timelines add up. I don't know whether he had to get another fl another flight or whether it was hightailing it in a Porsche or a Ferrari down the freeway. <laughs> I don't know what. But um, Marcus Smart missed the flight. Marcus Smart has been reprimanded for said transgressions i'm not sure we've really like i'm not sure like i've seen people going crazy right like oh people are talking about captains and marcus smart's too volatile for this and he's too too untrustworthy for that i get it you're one of the most you are the most senior member on the team you're meant to be leading by example you are one of the you are the if not one of the emotional leaders on the team you are meant to be leading by example 
that was not a good example. Yeah, not so great. You, <laughs> <laughs> so you get in trouble for it, but I don't see the narrative of this is Marcus Smart being volatile or this is Marcus Smart being a poor leader. Maybe the leadership thing has some weight to it because this isn't the first transgression Smart's had in his career. But I, I, I'm just it's, not fully sold on all the negativity that's coming out of this. Yeah, I mean, let's let's put a pin in this for one second because I'm with you. I don't think it's it's really that big of a deal. I think there is some stuff that we can we can comment on. But I want to talk about Woj for one second because <laughs> number one, Woj is just amazing. And it's amazing how good Woj is, and Shams is great too. But I, I think it's really like just the two of the last stories that have come out that Woj is broken. So this one here where Ime comes out and says, we're going to keep it internal. And it felt, felt like within seconds, Woj was like, smart missed the flight. Like just in, just immediately has the story already, has what happened. And then you think back like two days ago or, or whatever the timeline is now with the whole Ben Simmons saga. And there's literally – Elton Brand didn't know. Daryl Morey didn't know. Doc Rivers didn't know that Ben Simmons came back to the arena, was in the practice facility, was getting his COVID testing. They didn't know. Woj knew. And after games, Doc Rivers is being asked about Ben Simmons, and he's like, I got to call Woj. So I, I just think it blows my mind every time these teams like we're, something's going to be kept internal or someone's not. It's like, man, Woj has a bug in every single locker room across the NBA. It, it, I just wanted to point out how sim- how amazing it is that Woj knows all. He's the senior NBA insider. Not an NBA insider, a senior NBA insider. <laughs> Look, <laughs> he, the sources here must have. He has sources on sources on sources on sources. Yeah, like, he's like uh, um, uh, what's his name from uh, from he's like Varys in Game of Thrones. He's got all these little uh, all these little messengers running around the different streets, except they're in the different NBA arenas. <laughs> <laughs> For real, man! Like seriously, like it's impressive. Like I find it really funny how like um, it was Mark Murphy that tweeted out about um about Udoka saying we want to keep it internal, and Woj mm-hmm. quote tweeted that tweet. Like, nah, smart Mr. Flight. Just like, you want to keep flex. it in turn. What a flex. Yeah, what a flex. <laughs> like, I've sat there basically on a Twitter list of Celtics coverage until I see one. And now I'm like, boom, quote, retweet. Now this is what happened. And I put I put a tweet out just a comedy one, just like, you know, Ime, we're going to keep it internal. And Woj like, nah, bro, this is what went down. Like, no, it was... You know, it is what it is. Woj knows all. I just wanted, I just wanted to talk about that for a second because I just... I, I It's having Woj in our lives and Shams as well. Just, I love having these guys that are just competing with each other for breaking that news first. So, and usually if I, I'll be honest, if I go to, if I want to confirm something, I usually go to their, one of their Twitter handles to be like, all right, have one of these guys talk about it because they're, I know their sources are impeccable, but it's like watching LeBron and KD go at it all the time. Yeah. It's fantastic. It's, it's journalistic all-stars. It's, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Journalistic battle of the court. I love it. Battle of the tweets. Um, anyways, <laughs> circling back to Marcus Smart here. So let's talk about it, Adam. Uh, I'm with you. You know, you, you touched on it a little bit. I, I'm not. I'm not going to come at this like from a doomsday approach. The guy missed a flight. There could have been a lot of reasons for it. You know, we really don't know. But the part that I think is is really holding up here is, and I believe it was was Tatum um, that talked about this after Ime was hired about we want to be held accountable. Like, we want to practice hard. We want to do all these things. And this is one of the things where, you know, we've heard about how the story goes wrong with, with players getting preferential treatment behind closed doors that we usually don't know about until that situation sours. Whether that's, you know, James Harden and some of the calls he made with Houston, 
Uh, you know, I've heard the stories of Kawhi Leonard and his doctors and, you know, flights to San Diego and, and all this. And Marcus Smart certainly isn't on the level of those players to be able to, you know, kind of make those demands. But even still, there's a, there's an aspect to this team camaraderie about everybody being held accountable for their actions. So from that sense, I love it. And it's the preseason. He's going to miss a preseason game in which he's probably only going to play a quarter, a half. I'm not expecting a ton of the most important Celtics players to play a ton in the season finale. I think it's kind of a dress rehearsal, maybe the first half. And I doubt you see many of them in the second half anyways. So from that aspect, I don't think it's a big deal. But I do like the idea of Celtics talking about being held accountable and then Ime actually putting it into action. You ask for it, you get it. Yeah. Like that That's pretty much how it is. And look, these are grown men. Like they understand when their actions don't meet a certain criteria. You know, a coach lays out a, a coach lays out his kind of like pet peeves. He lets you know what the restrictions are, what the frameworks are for what he considers good professionalism. And then all your job is to do is to exist within that framework. And you know, wh- whatever the reason may be for Smart missing that flight, he's been suspended. Apparently, to, to quote Udoka, he's remorseful. He accepts mm-hmm. the. He accepts accepts the suspension, and for me, that's perfectly fine. At that point, you know you've done wrong, you've paid the like you've been given a, a reprimand, and now you you move on. Fine. Obviously, if there was rumors of sulking or there was a dis, there was a disagreement or disgruntlement between the two parties, then there'd be more of a talking point there. But by all, as all things stand, it was just that. Now look, we ridiculed Rob Williams for years, Time Lord for missing. That's where it comes from. Yeah, it's exactly where it comes from. So does Smart become mini Time Lord? Time Lord version two? I don't Return know. Return of the Time Lord. I like that. I don't. I don't know enough of my history. I was trying to think of like what's what's beneath a Lord. Like he's not quite at the level of Rob Williams because this was like Rob Williams literally missed the press conference for his first ever professional interview, uh, which is pretty funny. Right after you've been drafted by a team, so I don't. So I don't know what if there's a, a level below it. Maybe he's well, just Time Lord Junior. Or was it a Bannerman? It was a like I said, I, Bannerman. I don't know my, my my medieval history in that way. I should have looked it up before, but it did cross my mind as to like, is there is there a junior title that we can apply to to Marcus Smart in this scenario? Because Time Lord is clearly the he's the timekeeper. He's he's the, he's at the top top level. So Smart's just he's just one below. It's a flight. You know, there's not necessarily a history a history of other instances with Marcus Smart. It's a duke. A duke. Okay, the Duke of Time. The Duke of Time. Marcus Smart. Time Duke. <laughs> the duke of time's better the duke of time's better the duke of time himself but you know what adam like like i like like we said it's i don't think it's ultimately a big deal it sounds like it's all being handled properly um in a week or two i don't think anyone's really going to care one point you did bring up that i do think is interesting to talk about though is he may really made it a point because you don't always hear this in preseason about naming captains that's not always something that comes up some teams do it some teams don't it's really kind of your own flavor. And where this is Ime's first head coaching gig coming into the organization, this feels like this was something that was important to him to establish is having these two captains. So I do think that's an interesting point to talk about and whether part of the ramifications of, of missing this flight and, and being, you know, one of the first people to, to kind of not go against Ime's rules, but break Ime's rules that he kind of set down for the team is that maybe he does lose that captainship. I mean, I do think that that's possible. You know, he's already kind of downplayed what a captainship would be and that you can be a captain without having it, you know, a C on your chest. But but I do think that plays that could play an interesting role. And, and maybe now it, it ends up being, as we talked about a few podcasts ago, 
Maybe it's the Jays instead of Alan Marcus, who I thought maybe might be the inside track. So uh, we'll see how that plays up. I do think that's an interesting note. Yeah, I think that it's important just to kind of look at that. For me, it's like Marcus Smart's going to lead by example with or without a captaincy. Uh, yeah. I think that's that's one of the bigger reasons why him getting reprimanded for this mis- um, transgression is the most important aspect because he leads by example. So if he leads by example doing positives, he also does the same on the flip side with negatives. Reprimanding him makes sure that that message is sent loud and clear. It doesn't matter what your name is or your stature within the locker room. If you step outside of the framework that I've I've laid in front of you, then you're going to be punished and you're going to be punished mm-hmm. by per team policy. I also like the fact that for their best attempts, they did try to keep it in-house, which is also <laughs> important, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, that's really all I've got to say on that matter. I don't think, like, you know, I'm not into none of these conspiracy theories or... I saw I saw one that was pretty good actually. It was like it was like a big brain theory where it's like it was Marcus Smart and Ime working together to kind of establish the culture, and so oh, uh, you know, and, and so Marcus Smart is falling on the sword, the proverbial sword, to kind of set the tone for everyone else that hey, listen, I messed up, I'm taking responsibility, I'm remorseful, you know, everything's kind of going according to plan. That's some that's some big brain theory right there that I saw floating around on Twitter. No, I love that. Send me that. I'll I'll share that around all social <laughs> media. Like that deserves the. I love that uh, train of thought. Yeah, I mean, maybe at the end of the day, you know what? Like, maybe Mark just didn't want to go to Orlando. I got family in Orlando. I don't like going to Orlando. Orlando's not great. Maybe Mark just didn't want to go to Orlando. It is. We've got gators in Orlando. Oh, they got gators all over Orlando. I'm scared of gators. I wouldn't want to go. <laughs> don't go to Orlando then. while they were in orlando they did actually participate in a game of what we like to call basketball it was a very very young starting five and to be honest with you it was a very enjoyable game i don't know i don't know if everybody else is going to agree but from like watching it just for the love of basketball to watch it like it was really enjoyable there was a bunch of young guys on both sides of the floor personally i love watching cole anthony play anyway I think Bombers look good in both of the two games the Celtics have played against him. But in the terms of the Celtics, I think that Romeo played exceedingly aggressively. And that, in my opinion, is played well for Romeo because we've seen him be so passive. He flashed that float again, had some moments where, you know, from the third quarter onwards, he was kind of the de facto ball handler. I really liked watching his work there. Pritchard, until he got his nose broke, <laughs> was very, very good as usual, as you would have come to expect. Rob Williams flashed mid-range jump shot ability. Please, can we start there before we even carry on? Because we know there's a guy who had a big night, and we can get there. Yeah. But Rob Williams took mid-range jump shots, and he and made, made them. Made oh, them. That's, that's, that's the key, Adam. He made them. Love it. Do you know what? I, I've, I, I'm, like, I'm, beating, I'm beating the drum. I've, I've been on this drum for 12 to 18 months. People who are listening are probably rolling their eyes. That mid-range jump shot was so important for his development, in my opinion, because of the how that opens up the floor for him. And he hasn't been as explosive as what we'd like over the first few preseason games. Um, personally, I don't think there's been a moment where I'm like, "Whoa, Rob done something amazing again." He seemed very. Um, that's a that's a great call out, Adam, because that's something I've noticed as well too. And I, and I don't know that it's troubling yet. Because you know, with preseason, it's it's tough. But he but he's pretty much played over twenty to twenty four minutes in just about every game. So he's certainly you know played enough to have those opportunities to have those wow athletic moments. And, and you haven't really seen it. You've seen him utilize his length, block some shots on the perimeter, 
uh, make some really athletic plays, but nothing that's really got you out of your seat. So I do think that's interesting to note, but that's something we'll kind of put a pin in for now. And, and I'm sure that will be something that comes up if we, if we continue not to see that as we get into the regular season, that'll be, be a much heavier topic. But for now, let's jump shot, man. It, it looked pretty nice. You know, we talked about it when we had the three-man weave going the other day. And I love seeing it in that first game versus Orlando in the game versus the, uh, the first game versus Orlando, uh, where he ended up going 0 for 7, but he took several of the jump shots. I thought it looked good. Uh, last night, he got a couple to go. He didn't take any against the, the Raptors. I don't think he took a shot against the Raptors, actually. I think he didn't have a single field goal attempt. Um, but the fact that he's willing to take them, and now you're starting to see a few of them go in, it, it's just such a major sign for the development of his game. And I think you're spot on with, with what it adds as far as the elements of his game. If you have to respect that jump shot, and not only what it opens up for him and for others around him, but then allows his vertical threat to be amplified by the fact that he can step out. So his best asset is now, you know, it's almost like being given a supercharge if this becomes a reliable part of his game. Yeah, because defenses are going to have to make decisions now. Like from that short roll, you have, like, would you get Robert Williams in a pick and roll? There was, there was only ever two op- options that were going to happen um, if Rob Williams received the pass, that is. So those two options were he was going to roll to the rim and he was going to dunk on you off a love threat most likely, mm-hmm. or he was going to receive the ball and then redirect the ball. He was going to offer secondary creation. Now, all of a sudden, you have that third threat. Now he can receive the ball and just pull up off the catch and start to work that mid-range game that way and get numbers on the board that way, which means defenses have to eventually not... Yeah, I mean, it's a super, super small sample size at the moment, but eventually defenses are going to have to step out of the paint a little bit, come up to the mid-range to meet him. Ideally, if you run him in the short roll a bunch to begin the year, Ask him to kind of blend in his facilitation with those jump shots, make the defense need to clog the passing lane and defend from the shot, and then start adding in those deep rim runs where the love threat is or where you can hit that, um, you know, like a nice pocket pass or a wraparound mm-hmm. for an easy dunk. You really put that defense in a bad spot. And it's been one of the biggest reasons I've been asking for Rob to develop this for probably 12 to 18 months. Whether I personally would like it around about, you know, the free throw line extended, but I'm more than happy for it to be like the mid block, like in between yeah. the high and low. I'm fine wherever it comes, that jump shot, it's easy money because the modern NBA... He's going to be wide open when he takes yeah, it. Yeah, the modern NBA, the, the, there's no defense in that area. That's why guys like DeMar DeRozan succeed so heavily because mm-hmm. they come in behind, behind the defense. You've got most most teams are just going to live with that mid range shot off Rob Williams until it becomes legitimate because they care more about protecting the rim. So I'm really looking forward to see Rob feast there until defense until he forces defenses to adjust. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Ime is going to be a different coaching style than Brad Stevens, but I feel like uh, when Daniel Tice was at his best, it was usually we would go make a concerted effort to go out of our way early, some point in the first quarter, and get him, you know, two to three looks from three. Because if he knocks down a couple shots, then in that game, and it was kind of a game to game thing, which is why they had to do it this way. Then the, then the other opposing team would have to respect Daniel Tice more from the three-point line. That opens up the rest of the offense throughout the game for the Celtics. So in that same vein, I kind of like the idea, of, especially early on, because you know when it gets late, you know possessions get all that much more important early on. You have some room mm-hmm. for more room for error. I would love to see you know first quarter, early second quarter, depending on what the starting lineup and, and kind of rotations end up looking like. I'd love to see Rob Williams utilize that time at the beginning of the season to really 
get a rhythm with that jump shot so that when we get in situations, because he's going to be playing in certain crunch time moments for sure throughout the season, that that is a weapon that actually needs to be respected. And I would love to see that be something the offense looks to do early on in the season is get him a few jump shots early in the game to start to kind of build that confidence. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you pull it perfectly. Like, you look at Daniel Tice, in my opinion, Daniel Tice was a fantastic, versatile pick-and-roll threat. He could pick and pop, he could pick and roll, he could pick and then go into a seal, so you opened up the driving lane for the ball hander coming off the... Uh, there were so many ways that Daniel Tice hurt you in that pick-and-roll, and I think that Rob Williams is far more capable as a pick-and-roll threat in terms of upside and potential. You know, whenever a guy can pretty much jump so high he can bite the rim then he's going to be a solid pick and roll for it. Uh, again, I do think that I'd like to see him pressure the rim a little bit more than what we're seeing at the mm-hmm. moment, just because that jump shot's still a work in progress. You don't want to move away from something that's been tried and tested and got you to this point within the rotation. To I get yeah. it, you're working on a new shot type and you need to feed that. But blend the two together just so you're getting some consistency and you're building some confidence in that shot and you're still performing at a level that helps the Celtics win. Yeah, yeah, I could be wrong, Adam, but I, I'm, I'm racking my brain right now over these three preseason games to think of, has there been even a, a Rob Williams alley-oop attempt thus far in the, in the three preseason games? I think there was one early in the first game, and I don't think it went well. Was there one, did like Wendell Carter or Mo Bamba get a block on it, maybe? I Is think kind so. Of, I think they're okay, kind of I'm, I'm kind of thinking of that, yeah. Okay, but but that's it's an interest. Like I said, it's something I thought of, but I wasn't ready to bring it up yet after the after the Raptors game, and and then you're and then after last night, still not really seeing that. Wow, athleticism is just something to note. I don't want us to go too far in this because then we're we're just completely speculating at this point. It's preseason, so I don't think it's necessarily the best use of our time. But I do think it's something to note. Uh, you know, but thinking back to last night's game to, to kind of get us to, to move on to another subject here. Let's talk about Aaron Neesmith, man. He was great. Oh, for sure. Night. Before I do, before we do, I do just want yeah. to jump in there and say that this lack of bounce off of, from him may just because he's he, that turf toe and he's just waiting for that to, you know, just to heal a little bit more. Or maybe he doesn't want to put too much pressure on mm-hmm. it until the regular season comes and risk re-aggravating it. So there are reasons why he might not be bouncing. Now, you you did say Aaron Neesmith, so I'm sorry to cut you up. Please proceed, good sir. Appreciate you, good mate. Uh, How was that? that? Good mate? That was very good. Yeah, okay, I'll take it. (laughs) That was very good. Aaron Neesmith, you and Greg have been banging the drum on him being, you know, the the fifth guy in the starting lineup. That still feels kind of like the mystery. Are we going to go two bigs? Is Ime going to go with, you know, Josh Richardson, Aaron Neesmith? Is it going to be Wancho? Is it going to be Romeo? You know, who is going to be... That fifth starter is still a mystery, and you and Greg have been beating the drum for for Aaron Neesmith. Last night was probably, actually not even probably, it was his best case to be to be the fifth starter with what he was able to do. The secondary shot creation he was he was having was something that I thought was probably one of the more impressive parts of his game last night. We know that he's a shooter. You know, he knocked down four out of eight three pointers last night. He's knocked down fifty percent of his three point shots over the first three games. Um, and really, for me, the one of the more impressive parts of Aaron Neesmith last night. I thought he got off to a little bit of a slow start in the game, and I thought he made a couple of good decisions. They didn't necessarily go the right way. He ended up forcing, maybe it was like his second or third shot, 
uh, trying to be that scorer with everybody out. It really kind of fell on like, hey, the hierarchy here is Peyton Pritchard's probably like kind of like the engine that's starting everything. And then Neesmith, your other go-to scorer right now with everybody that's out. And so it felt like he was pressing a little bit early, but then he really settled in, had a great end of the first half, and then had the third quarter might have been the best, you know, front-to-back quarter I think I've seen Aaron Neesmith play. So I think last night's an extremely encouraging moment for, you know, the Aaron Neesmith stands out there that are pushing for him to start. Don't know if that's going to happen yet, but I think last night was a step towards that process. Oh, for sure, man. I mean, for me, it was like, and I've said this before, I've probably said this to you, the Celtics drafted a a sharpshooting specialist and ended up with a two-way wing prospect. I'd much rather take the second, the latter than the former, personally. Um, If you look at his shot profile, especially in that third quarter, um, you had the two kind of Kobe-esque, Hayward-esque turnaround fadeaways. The second, he had two of them. The first one was more Hayward-esque because he stopped Mm -hmm. with that foot out and then turned. You know, he used that foot to create more more space because the defender can't obviously encroach on that leg. And then the second one was very Kobe-esque, where it was a quick turnaround, line up your shot, bang. Um, so that was a new wrinkle to his offense completely. We saw him attack closeouts. We saw him drive to the hoop. We saw those mid-range, those mid-range turnarounds. He hit a corner free from either corner of the court. Um, he was just very versatile in where his shots were coming from, off the dribble, off the catch, off movement. While you're stationary, it, he showed us everything you'd need to see off somebody to be able to be like, yo, in a, in a year or two, if this guy's given the opportunity, he will be a three-level scorer on offense. And we've seen the hustle and heart and defense to be like, there is every opportunity. Two-way wing is one of the most overused terms in the NBA, in my opinion. Everybody's a two-way wing, if you ask somebody. What I define two-way wing is you have to be a three-level scorer so you have to score at the rim, in the mid-range, and from a, from free. And you have to be an above-average defender for your position. If you can slide up or down a position too, fantastic. I think there's, the building blocks are there for Aaron Neesmith. And then, you know, the assists he made, he made some really good read on his assists. He ended up with four assists. I think three of them came in the second quarter. Um, so for me, it was one, one of the most encouraging performances we've seen, I think, in the Celtics jersey. Preseason or not, I don't care. It was a yeah. really encouraging performance. I'm totally with you, and this is what you need to see. And actually, this is something I wanted to, to point out is I don't expect the Magic to be very good this year. Uh, Jalen Suggs didn't play last night, but and Fultz and Isaac will continue to be out for a while. But they played their real team, which, like I said, I don't expect them to be very good. But they pretty much played their real team that you're going to see on opening night minus Jalen Suggs. And this performance wasn't against, you know, a bunch of nobodies. This, is, this to me, was meant more than what we saw in Summer League, where whatever, whatever five you put on the court in Summer League, at least half of them are probably not sniffing NBA court these days. There's the starting five of the Orlando Magic, or at least four out of the five were on that court last night, and five out of their six, seven rotation guys were playing in that game, and Aaron Neesmith was playing against them. So uh, I, I think this result from Aaron Neesmith last night was extremely encouraging. Uh, what I want to ask you, Adam, so I know your personal opinion, but I want to ask for your prediction. Because I, like I said, I think this game against Miami coming up here, uh, which will be tonight when you guys are listening to this, um, I, I don't think you're going to – I think especially in the second half, you're going to see a lot of the, the back-end guys again. I don't think it's going to be – I think it's really about preserving the roster, getting to uh, opening night against the Knicks at this point. I don't think there's going to be too much concern with playing big minutes for guys that Emay sees as rotation guys. So right now, if we don't get too much Aaron Neesmith on Friday, with what you've seen, do you think come 
October 20th against the New York Knicks, he'll be in the starting lineup. And if not, who will be? I think, honestly, my honest opinion is it depends on how healthy Al Horford is after recovering from COVID. That's he was a, if I'm if I remember correctly, he is asymptomatic. He was just quarantining. Yeah, they, they they said the timeline on him being available for for the Knicks game is like right on that that borderline. So he'll be available the next game after the Knicks for sure. But for, for this for this scenario, let's say Al Horford is available, so that we have our normal people out there. What would be your prediction if Al Horford's available? At I'd this expect point, it to be a two big starting lineup. Okay, I'm kind of at that point as well. So that's where I, that's yeah. what I think it will probably be. If we're being honest with ourselves, I think that Neesmith gives you more in terms of versatility and spacing. But I mm-hmm. think that Hawford and Rob Williams give you a dimension that you don't get with anyone else on that roster taking that fifth starting spot. You've just got so much of a diversity around the room. Uh, I think Ime is really putting um, emphasis on, you know, twos are the easy ones. So get your easy ones where you can get them and then make your hard ones when they're available. You know, yeah. don't take the free just because it's a free. Take the free because it's the right basketball play. And uh, that from watching the way Imi set, is setting the team up and, you know, the five-out offense that they're running and they're switching to a four-out, one-in. And it's very much a, a lot of driving, a lot of uh, pressure to rim decisions. I genuinely believe that he's going to go with the team that can get the easy ones mm-hmm. and build out to the open free when it's the right play. And to do that, you run the two big lineup. Yeah, I, I think I think at this point you're you're right. I think that's probably what I would expect to see if Al Horford's healthy. If he's not, yeah. that opens it up, and and we'll see if that final spot goes to Neesmith as it go to Romeo. I don't know, but I, I think that brings up a bigger question: is is I and Emes even kind of addressed this already that there's probably twelve or thirteen deserving guys of getting some form of minutes on a given night. He'd prefer to do nine or ten. But it's going to be a very interesting stagger job that he has to do on a nightly basis to kind of figure it out. I think there's a group of probably about seven to eight Celtics that you can go ahead and pencil them in for they're going to have pretty much a set amount of playing time per night. But then it comes to like, who's the better fit on this night? Is it Romeo? Is it Neesmith? Is it Grant Williams? Is it Wancho? You know, who's going to have the the minutes there? And it's I, I, I'm really fascinated to watch the beginning of the year and kind of track how Ime's thought process is working in these games that are going to matter. Yeah, I mean, it's very much a plug-and-play roster once you get past that 7th or 8th spot. It is very much a who makes sense tonight. Mm-hmm. And I think that, to me, like, that's a virtue. That's not a bad thing. Like, that's going to give you headaches once the it's playoffs It's a great start. thing. Do you remember who we were working with last year, Adam? This is a heaven <laughs> set. My God. You say that now, once you get towards the playoffs, there's going to be some real tough decisions for, for people to start making. But that's months away and everybody's going to get their fair opportunity to earn playoff minutes. Because I genuinely believe that from game one to game 82, every game is an audition for who gets postseason minutes. And the more consistent you are through the regular season gives people more opportunities in the postseason. Uh, that's one way I've kind of always looked at it. And when I'm looking at it like that, I'm not saying it for your start, like, you know, your main seven or eight guys, but from nine backwards through 15, yeah. every minute you get is is a chance to try out for some playoff ball. Um, if we're looking around, I think that, I mean, I could sit Jabari Parker's just so interesting to me, man. Tell like, me more. I, tell, tell me more about why Jabari's so interesting to you. Because we've seen guys recover from these knee injuries before and figure it out, and it's took them a year or two to figure it out, but they they eventually 
find a role within the team and become valuable role players now. Look, man, Jabari Parker will never be the guy that got drafted into the NBA. And, you know, unfortunately, his career got sucked away and he's never going to be that guy. But look at Derek Rose. uh, Derek Rose is a different story. He was an MVP. You know, it was an MVP, but it took him three, four, maybe like years to. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Just, like I said, it's several years. I don't. I don't know because I mean, yeah. I think I think it was really when he ended up. What was it in Minnesota when he dropped the fifty piece, and that's kind of when it felt like, all right, he's kind of he's figured out his new NBA version of himself. Yeah, he stopped trying to be the Derrick Rose that he was, and was able to make the Derrick Rose that he is work. And that Derrick exactly. Rose is still a very good player, and you know. I, I haven't thought about it in that Derrick Rose type of lens that maybe there is that pathway for Jabari Parker. Um, Celtics haven't made their final cut yet. I really hope Jabari Parker is is the the man that gets the, that last roster spot. I think he will be. Uh, I'm not sweating it too much, but I hope he is. Because I really think with Jabari Parker as almost like a safety. I, I really look at this roster. I look at him and Enos Cantor as, as safety nets for this team. Because if you go up against, let's just let's let's keep banging on the Orlando Magic here. Like I said, don't think they're gonna be very good. But if you go with Knife, you need to rest certain guys, and you're plugging in Jabari Parker and Enos Cantor. If you're plugging them in against the Brooklyn Nets for big minutes, you're probably not in great shape. If you're plugging them in against the Orlando Magic, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the you know Cleveland Cavaliers, Detroit Pistons, whoever else you want to go ahead and name here. You know, you you still should expect to win if you have certain other guys playing, but if you're missing certain parts, it shouldn't be an excuse to lose a game because those are capable NBA players. Those guys have a certain baseline competency that allow the Celtics to have this uh, to have this level of success that wasn't available to them last year. There should be limited excuses for a lot of the games that they lost last year because they have guys like this that are coming in as, you know, quote-unquote third-unit type guys, and you have talents like Jabari Parker and Enos Cantor. So... Uh, I'm with you. There's still a little intrigue around Jabari, and I think keeping him around at his cheap discounted rate and having him as that safety net, uh, it could have be, could end up being a, a gamble that pays off really well in the end. Man, if Jabari Parker's the worst guy in your rotation, then that should tell you how good to shape your team's in. Because yeah. I do gen- – like, Jabari Parker like, – look, I get it. Derek Rose is an MVP. He, Jabari Parker was never at that level. So expect it. So looking at it through that lens – can be viewed as a flawed way to look at things. I understand that. But as a small ball five in the playoffs last year, we, for brief stretches and throughout the regular season, we saw Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker, Jabari Parker look like a valuable asset to the team. Last night against the Magic, um, so, you know, the night before for everybody listening, there were moments where he looked like he could just go and get buckets. And that's what he does. He exactly. gives you instant offense off self-creation. Uh, I, I'm very high on him. The only guy I think that could put some pressure on him for that last spot is Theo Pinson, who also looked quite decent. He looked good last game. Night. Yeah, he didn't look bad at all. Um, I think if Jabari Parker's got any form of competition for that 15th spot, he needs to be looking at Theo Pinson because Theo played well. Yeah, I thought Theo played well last night. I'm looking at him right now. He's 25 years old. I mean, I get. I, I will say this: I love Theo Pinson for his uh, his his back of the bench antics. So, in that sense, I would love having Theo Pinson there to be able to kind of rally the troops. Um, but he did have a good game last night, so I think that will be an interesting call. I don't know. I mean, because really, what's left is like that last roster spot, 
And there's another two-way spot that are pretty much still up for grabs. Uh, Sam Hauser, who you had a great interview with uh, about a week ago now. If you guys haven't checked that, definitely go back in the feed and check out uh, Adam's interview with Sam Hauser. That was a really good one. Um, he's got one of the two-way contracts. And then it's it's that last that last spot in that other two-way. And, yeah, I think it's between Theo and Jabari. I would lean Jabari. And then on that two-way, I don't know if that puts Theo Pinson maybe in in – in the realm of that, or I was looking at a guy like Garrison Matthews, where I think Garrison Matthews and Sam Hauser, you're kind of looking at them to be that, that sport, uh, sport, the floor spreader, uh, you know, kind of in that, you know, take a guy like Duncan Robinson, give him some time in the G league, mold him into the guy that you need at the, you know, at the professional level. And, you know, it's kind of two cracks at it. That's one of my ways of thinking about it, but those are one of the last calls that this roster has. But if those are the calls you're making, your roster's in pretty good shape. Yeah, for sure, man. And I think that's going to be indicative of how Brad Stevens sees this uh, this team this year, is where does he take the additional help? Does he take it at the, the wing slash big or the wing slash guard? So does he go Pinson or does he go Parker? And I think what what decision he makes kind of tells you where he thinks needs a little bit more shoring up and maybe an area to keep an eye on coming up to the trade deadline. Because if we're being honest with ourselves, nobody expected Grant Williams to look this fluid this early. I think Grant yeah. Williams has been another underrated guy this year. Do you know what's really annoying me? Everywhere I look, I still see people being like, why is Grant Williams playing? Because, dude, he's playing yeah. well. I don't understand what the problem is. He's playing well. He's looked good in the preseason, man. I mean, it's like I said, it's preseason, so you always take it with a little grain of salt. But he's looked good. Like Nothing else you can judge it on but what he's looked like in the three games we've seen him in. And he's looked good, man. He's, he's had, he had some great offensive rebounds last night. He's been making three-point shots. Um, you know, I, I did have, like you said, I still see people bashing Grant. I, like I said, I feel like we should ease up for multiple reasons. He's, number one, he's going to be like our ninth or tenth guy. And I think a lot of people, a lot of teams in the league would love to have Grant Williams as the ninth or tenth guy. Especially, remember, this is year three. It's year three. He's like, he's still in only his third year. But, you know, because people are still bashing Grant Williams, overly bashing, I'll say, Grant Williams on on the interwebs. Uh, I was a little worried for, for Grant last night. He had that moment, I think it was in the second quarter. I can't remember who he was guarding, but he ended up taking the ball kind of with a jab step to the middle. And I, I think he just tripped or whatever, but he fell over to the right. Kind of. So it's one of those ones where it's like, oh, he crossed him. It's like he didn't really cross him. Grant just kind of like tripped. But I, if he ended up having a bad game, I was just waiting for somebody to cut up that Dan clip and be and you know just give it to Grant some more. And it's like, I don't think he deserves it. I really don't. I think Grant's been playing very well, and I think Grant should get an opportunity to fill in at some of those power forward minutes here to start the season. Man, in terms of like systematic ball, in terms of playing your role within the system, over the first three games, assuming that what we're seeing is the system, Grant Williams has been arguably one of the best systematic players in the rotation. He's been cutting perfectly. He's been making mm-hmm. really smart reads off ball. Um, he's, he's a ridiculously like improved screener. I think his screens really look like, you know, guys feel it when they get, when Al, um, Al, when, Grant sets the screen. Um, they'd feel it when Al set the screen too, to be fair. Um, <laughs> you know, that free isn't no longer a corner free. As we said this on the free yeah, man. We even shoot from the from wing. The wing now. Um, there's been a little bit of passing from him too. Not much, nothing crazy, but you know, if, they, if he catches the ball in the elbow, he'll he'll run a little elbow set and try and get some offensive in, uh, offense initiated. The dude's earning like, what, one point something million dollars? It's not like 
get off his back a little bit. He's actually <laughs> been decent, man. Like, yeah. I get it. It's pre-season and we've got a long season to go. There's going to be plenty of times to be frustrated with Grant Williams. I am more than confident in that sentence. But I think there's going to be more often than not times to be really happy that he's showing he can develop. And, like, he was good, man. I think, you know, Romeo was another guy I saw catching some heat for the performance he had. Uh, my opinion was he was attempting to score. Everybody moaned when Romeo didn't attempt to score. He's attempting to score. It's mm-hmm. going to take a while when you're being a bit more aggressive to yeah. figure out the, the difference in release and touch. But overall, I've been really impressed with the Celtics this preseason. Same. I'm feel like minus the Marcus Smart news that we led the podcast with. I feel like it's been all good vibes. So that's that's the circling this all back to the beginning of the podcast. That's one of the only negative things about the Marcus Smart news is that it feels like the team has looked great. The team has felt great. Every podcast we've come on here, they're saying the right things. They're doing the right things in the limited sample size that we've seen, except for making flights. And, you know, it's just been good vibes. It's just been good vibes. So uh, I feel great about this team heading into the season right now. You know, I'm I'm really high on this team, to be honest, man. I'm, try, I'm trying to temper my expectations <laughs> a little bit. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I, I really think that this team has has a lot of the right pieces to be – you know, I don't think they're quite in that 1A contention range yet, but I don't think they're far behind it, man. I really don't. No, a, a couple of pieces internally developing or a little trade to bring in one more piece, and I think this team's right there. Same. Honestly, I think this team is right there. I think for now, you know, there's going to be more to talk about over the weekend when the Celtics beat Miami tomorrow today. <laughs> uh, if they beat Miami, when, if, you know, whatever, whichever way you want to take that sentence, feel free. Um, so we'll leave it there. We hope everybody's got to work safely. If you're not at work, whatever you're doing, we hope you're there safely. If you're not trying to be safe, then we hope you're at least being smart about being unsafe. Um, yeah. If usual, leave that five-star written review. Say nice things about us. We really like it when you say nice things about us. If you can't do that, say nice things about us to your friends. And I'm going to throw it over to Will to lead us out. I've been quite brief on my please review us today. Usually it'll be a little bit longer. Go ahead, Will. Hey, all I got to say something nice. Have a good weekend, everybody. Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down, one play at a time Keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrate